Are you listening to the award-winning CBJRadio.com yet? 28 different shows, over 55 hours of new programming every week. Shows range from hip-hop, to rock, to all independent artists, to hair rock, a Friday night request show and many more. Get yourself a CBJ Radio t-shirt and make CBJRadio.com the only internet radio station you listen to. All my friends, all my friends, all my friends with Justin Flaskerud. All my friends, all my friends, all my friends with Justin Flaskerud. Hello friends, how you doing? Welcome to the start of season four. Thank you for listening. I'm a bit older now. I'm 49 years old. And I'm wiser. (laughs) Well, definitely older. What do you think about birthdays? Um, Do you hate them? Do you love them? It's just another day. Do you get sad about them? I enjoy mine. And maybe it's because it's the day after St. Patrick's Day. So it's like a two-day party. And it's generally during NCAA March Madness. Oh, by the way, folks, how's your bracket going? If you're playing the brackets, you know, put a little money down. How's your bracket looking right now? Now, I think I could win some money, especially if Texas wins it all. So, hook them horns. Today's guest is Ellen Tittenzer, and this interview is different from the normal history of the guest life where I ask them when they were born and raised. Uh, This one's different. It's kind of like Star Wars. We're starting off in the middle with a big life moment in Ellen's life. And then hopefully in the future, we'll we'll start from the beginning. So let's get to the interview. I'm not gonna give away any of the interview because it's such a good one. I've had a love of being in in the outdoors since I was little. And I think that just stemmed from time I spent with my parents, mostly my dad. Um, We spent a lot of time on rivers. He was an avid fisherman and I really learned to love the navigation of a river and camping and all of those things. But I wasn't that crazy about hiking. Um, It seemed boring. (laughs) Like you're, you're just walking. How much fun is walking? Um, And so it really wasn't a passion in my life until about 10 years ago. And it started on the volleyball court, actually. You might be surprised (laughs) at that. We were, um, I was playing in a co-ed rec, pretty non-competitive volleyball league for old people. And um, just lunged for a low pass and felt the back of my leg explode. (laughs) And... um, once I got over like the initial pain, which it totally felt like someone took an ax to the back of my leg, um, realized that I had blown my Achilles tendon, could not make it off the court. And um, that injury led to the discovery of a um, degenerative disease of my connective tissues. And so uh, I was given the option, we could try to repair it. And if we did, Um, I would walk in pain for the rest of my life. 
Um, if we didn't repair it, I would have no pain, but of course the function would be limited. And um, I have five children. We like to be active. I thought, let's go for it. Let's do it. And so um, I was very fortunate that the doctor was able to do a repair. Um, I can't say that I'm back to 100%, but that launched me into months and years of recovery and um, therapy. And I think it took me several months just to learn to train my leg to walk again, um, but always accompanied in pain. And a couple years after that accident, we were spending some time in Jackson. It's one of our favorite places as a family, play on the river there. And we decided to break up our river days and go on a hike. And um, we headed to the Tetons and did the, the short, I don't know, it's like a four mile hike to Inspiration Point, something like that, not a big deal. But it was incredibly painful for me. <laughs> but we got up to this gorgeous um, overlook and every step had been painful, but I stood there and looked out at this like remarkable scenery and realized that this leg that I had cursed for the last two years took me someplace that a vehicle could not take me. And I was just filled with like this overwhelming gratitude for the fact that I could walk and there are things I could do. And suddenly I felt a lot of joy in the simple, boring <laughs> process of just walking. <laughs> um, and so in you know, a desire to keep active and to continue my enjoyment of the outdoors, I learned to be a hiker um, and, and have found a lot of joy in my legs taking me places that I would not get to see otherwise. And so I have, I have a lot of appreciation for this, this very scarred and deformed and somewhat limited leg, but I sure appreciate it. And I love all the places it can take me. <laughs> well, yeah. Inspiration on the volleyball court. Um, one of our prior guests, uh, Andrew Woodhouse, uh, he was on my intramural basketball team, uh, volleyball team and blew out mm -hmm. his Achilles while we were playing. Oh gosh. And, and I, it was sad because I convinced him to play that year. <laughs> And uh, he was an awesome player, tall dude. And then there goes the Achilles. I had an injury on the court, too. Uh, I went to try to, like, kick a ball up soccer style, and I kicked my calf. Mm. And it was so weird. I really couldn't walk, but I could still jump. So, mm. like, blocking and spiking were fine as long as I didn't run up to it for that uh -huh. and it was a while and i still have an indentation in in my right calf and mm -hmm. uh it's those moments in time where you're like do i need to be doing these sports anymore <laughs> I, uh, we both know you know we grew up athletes and we have enough injuries in our background from that i sound like a popcorn machine when i walk and i'm like do i really i need to do the high impact stuff um because who shut who can shut it off when you're playing volleyball like you played it right. forever. I, I, I'm still diving. Um, probably today at you know 49 years old, I'm still diving for the ball. Which I'm like, okay, you don't might need it. You know, change your aggressive style. And it led me to, I ran some warrior dashes. I've 
I don't hike like you have, but I've gone on some more hikes in my life later in life than I ever thought I would do because I grew up a Boy Scout in Oregon mm -hmm. and we hiked all every weekend, packs, everything. I probably hated it, probably did not love the beauty of it, everything. Um, but later in life, got to really, really enjoy some hikes. I don't do it as much as you do. Um, so what did you have like goals in mind? Like we're going to start, you know, four miles, five miles. All right. Now we're doing, you know, or heights. Where, how do you, how'd you, uh, yeah. um, I, I, you know, I wasn't that goal driven about it. I mean, really, honestly, my goal was learning how to walk again normally. And um, that really did take me a couple of years to regain. Uh, and I'm pretty proud of it. I think most people would watch me walk and not realize um, th that I've had a significant injury. And, and it's not that any uncommon of an injury, but it's just um, with, with the condition that I have, I mean, I have damage to my other Achilles as well. And just so I... I've had to accept that certain things, just like you were saying, some of those high impact, aggressive, explosive things that we love to do are pretty risky for me. And I've channeled that energy <laughs> now yeah. into just other things. So hiking is still kind of painful. Um, walking in general is still painful, um, but I find that if I keep that Achilles loose and warm and active, um, I just do better. So I'm always looking for an opportunity to get out and walk. Maybe it's just walk into the park or whatever. If we have a weekend and we can get out of town and just find a little trail, I'm very motivated to, to just keep on my feet and keep them, keep my legs working. <laughs> um, goals, goals for hiking. I mean, really, it just started as something that I was learning to love, something that was a new lifestyle for me since I had to give up some of the the old pastimes that I used to enjoy doing. Um, and, you know, for a few years, that's all it was. And then um, became intrigued with the idea of getting to some other places in the world and knowing that I was going to need to train and prepare if I was going to do that. And that's when I started setting goals for elevations and miles and, and all those types of things. So what, what, what was like your, your first, like 10,000, mm -hmm. you know, uh, 10,000 feet peak. That seems to be our 14 seems to be the ones around here that people do. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Cause I would say, I mean, you can get up in the snowies, like to 12,000, I want to say, I, I, wanna, I think Medicine Peak is somewhere, somewhere around there. Um, but I, I had a friend, I actually joined a, like a local hiking group for women. And the leader of that group said, let's go do a 14er. And I thought, I am so nervous about this. I don't know if I can do it, but what better support system than to have this group of like-minded women to do it with. And so we set a goal and I think we were a couple of months away from our planned date. And so, you know, did, did quite a bit of hiking set out, um, that weekend we climbed Mount Sherman. That was my first 14er oh, wow. and, um, and no 14er is easy, but I'm going to say I got up that thing, enjoyed my time and got down and thought, 
gosh, that wasn't even hard. <laughs> so, so suddenly it was, you know, just kind of a boost of confidence that, that my training had been paying off. Um, again, this leg that I, that I always wonder how long, how much longer it's going to last me just took me to another incredible place. And, um, and then, uh, that really kind of sparked a desire to, to see the top of some other mountains. So I think, um, last summer, I think I did seven total 14ers. Um, yeah. That's, that's impressive. I have a buddy that really good shape that comes from Nebraska and he'll set up base camp in Laramie and kind of train around here. And then he takes off to 14, uh, the, the, the tall ones, uh, there. So, um, right away was, was, was your husband like, I'm in, or did you have to convince him that this is going to be a good thing for everybody? <laughs> <laughs> He's, um, I'm really fortunate in that we have this shared passion for being in the outdoors. So it's super easy to control, to control, to convince him yeah. to spend time with me yeah. in the outdoors. Oh, so, yeah. um, hiking, whatever he's, he's totally game for it. I will say, uh, we're different personalities. And so some of these, especially like the 14ers, when we have a high peak, I want to do, and I'd really like to get off that peak early in the day, you know, before noon, then I'm, you know, I'm pushing some early starts that he's not terribly thrilled with, Yeah. but for the, for the most part, I'm just so fortunate. He's, um, I mean, let's be honest, he's, he's a healthy man in great shape. And I'm sure that having me as a partner limits him <laughs> to, to some degree. Um, but he certainly never complains about it. And he, um, never complains about my pace. We, we find that we're, we're pretty compatible hiking partners. Um, if it's a steep uphill, he's going to go faster than I am. But when we go on the downs, I leave them in the dust and it all, it, it just all kind of works out. <laughs> well, I, uh, I'm, I'm sure he's like, Hey, if she can do it with the tour of Feelies, <laughs> I, I better be able to handle this one. And yeah. so, and, you know, love and everything, you know, and pushing each other <laughs> and like interests, you know, you guys are loving in the outdoors. Um, it always seems like when I see pictures, he's had a pretty big camera on him. It seemed like a few times is that is his, uh, like convincing him to go, you can take some great pictures. Neither, neither of us are very good photographers, but I think what you're referring to is we oh. have a really good, a really good buddy yeah. who is oh. an incredible photographer and he has shared equipment with us at times. Okay. So I'm sure you have seen pictures yeah. of us with some pretty massive um, photography pieces of equipment, but but yeah, we're the only thing I take for a camera is my phone. <laughs> I don't want to haul or mess with anything bigger than that. So as a guy that's carried around video cameras for a chunk of my life. Yeah. I don't want to hike anything anywhere with those things. Um, yeah. But I, I do love, you know, the complexity of a, of a bigger camera, of a nicer camera than my cell phone. Because um, I am, if you need tips on shooting photography, I am a... Um, expert videographer in the same context yeah. and so i'll just give you i always give people a few tips because i'm like i love pictures of people but if you're in a big backdrop that's great but if there's nothing like 
behind you that you want to see like people have huge gaps between their head and you know it's it's interesting mm-hmm. it always it always drives me kind of crazy i'm like what are you trying to show and they're like oh just taking <laughs> a picture and i'm like oh if you're trying to show the mountains i get it in your perspective that makes sense but you know if it's just you guys in the in on the forest hey um we don't need yeah. a seven foot you know 70 foot tree behind you and makes you look real tiny or anything like that uh just my tips of the trade and everything um so uh so you did seven 14s last year yeah yeah wow wow which one was the hardest <laughs> um so and and i say seven and it was a true seven although yeah. maybe some people will think it's cheating because four of the seven are on a circuit loop called the decalibron okay um i so it's four 14ers kind of in a circuit. So you do four in a day. Oh. Um, up and down, up and down, up and down. And um and I'm so blessed to have done that. We actually set it as a goal for this summer. And um I was gonna train hard. And then we had kind of a weekend open up for us last summer. And I said, Mitch, let's go. <laughs> and we went and we did it. Um I think three of those four are on private property and, and, um, one of them you can at times and sometimes cannot actually go to the actual summit because of the property owners rules and conditions. Um, but since last summer, I think three of them have closed access to the public. So we were fortunate to have done it. I don't know when and if that will open up again. Um, but to answer your question, um, number four of the four that day <laughs> was a butt kicker. And getting to the top wasn't that bad. It's it's Mount Bross, and it's the one that actually you have to go to kind of a false summit just to honor the property owner's okay. respect his, um, his wishes. Um, so getting to the top was not bad, but coming down that thing um, is probably the steepest like decline I've ever done. And it was just loose shale and gravel the entire. So we were literally like skiing. You just got, you just took a skiing stance and just kind of skied down, you know, in your hiking boots in the rocks. Wow. (laughs) Um, For miles. And, um, and I think it was that in, in combination with the fact that we had already, we'd climbed four peaks that day. So our legs were just noodles. And, and I will say when we made it back to the trailhead that day, I thought this is one I probably will not do again, <laughs> but you can say you did it. So, but I, yeah, and, and before they all, a couple of them closed down. So that, that's, you know, timing yeah. and, and everything. Um, then uh, you guys worked up to a big mountain. And uh, I'll let yeah, I'll let you uh, explain how that worked out. What mountain was that? So we were really blessed with an opportunity to get to Mount Everest in October, and that that was such an incredible um, experience. And I want I want to make sure I'm clear. I did not climb Mount Everest. I did not stand on the peak or summit of Mount Everest. But we hiked into base camp, which is about a forty mile trek. And, um, and I think the highest elevation we got was about 18.5. Um, so considerably higher than anything we can touch here in the United States. 
Um, and it was incredible. It, it just was in, in every regard. Um, those mountains, the, the Himalayas are just breathtaking. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the culture and the people, that was the thing that was so amazing about it is um, for a period of, well, what took us, I don't know, six or seven days um, trekking through um, the Kumbu region of Nepal, which has no motorized vehicle access. So everything travels in that region by foot. And um, and so you live among the people for a week. I mean, you're just completely immersed in their culture and you're living with them, eating with them, swapping stories. Um, and they're just such an incredible uh, culture and group of people. It was such a blessing for us to spend time there. So it was, it was pretty amazing. Um, that was part of the more motivation for doing the 14ers last summer, though, is um, I was hoping to get to Nepal to do this, knowing that we wanted to get above 18,000 feet. And the best way I know to train to do that is to get high, high elevation as often as I can. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that was, was part of the dress. That was my next question is how do you, how do you train for that? Did you have masks? Did you start carrying weights? How did mm -hmm. you do it? How'd you train for ever? Um, at least the base camp. I mean, 18,000. Right. Ooh. Um, so I, training was, you know, maybe we're idiots, maybe we're naive. I didn't do anything terribly specific for training other than, um, you know, I try to get some exercise in every day. And, um, as soon as the summer hit and so I work for the school district, which means that I have a lot more time in the summer than I was making sure I was walking every single day, hiking as much as possible, and then looking for any opportunity that we could to get to Colorado and get above 14,000 feet. Um, and you know, it's interesting because if you, if you do these Colorado 14ers, um, you'll get down like in the South Park area of Colorado and um, it, they will have, I mean, in, in the hotel lobbies or in the convenience stores and the gas stations, they have canned oxygen, you know? Um, and so I carried one of those along with me every time we did a 14 or never felt the need to use it. So I don't even know what it's like, uh, but you know, we get to Nepal and you're getting much higher than 14,000 and things like that just weren't, weren't available. Um, but training wise, I mean, whatever we did, it seemed to work. I have to believe that living at the elevation that we do in Laramie above 7,000 feet probably, um, was a huge advantage for us. We went with a couple of friends who live in Seattle and, um, it was, probably much more difficult for them. And I think their, their training was much more intentional than ours was. Um, but they did amazingly well. Um, so, so we were, we were blessed. There were certainly, um, you share the trail with people from all over the world, people from all over the world come to see Everest. And, um, there were certainly nights when they were, you know, evacuating people out, um, of the village because 
they were sick with altitude sickness or, or what have you. And when I say evacuate out, that means they're like put in a basket on the back of a porter and they, they run them down to lower, lower elevation. Yeah. So, but you would, you would hear people getting sick in the night, you know, this coughing fits they couldn't get on top of and then coughing up blood. And then pretty soon they're, they're clearing them out. And so we certainly witnessed, um, the effects of elevation, uh, but we never experienced anything like that. And in fact, um, the friends we went with, she is a registered nurse and um, she's so thoughtful and prepared about everything that you do medically and making sure that we were safe. And she had, she had brought um, the like oxygen monitors so that we could measure our oxygen levels. And um, in, in these high villages, they will even have signs posted that say, you know, you are at 17,000 feet, your oxygen saturation should be this percent, you know, and it might say like, if you're below 70%, you need to go down. Well, ours, even at the highest was like 98%. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we were just, whatever we did or didn't do for training, it, it was effective for us. But I think just living in Laramie is probably a real advantage. Let me tell you about the oxygen in Laramie. No, moving from <laughs> the coast <laughs> from a suburb of Portland to Laramie, Wyoming, I knew nothing about the elevation change. Uh, my parents had a two-story house, which I never had grown up in a two-story, and I went running up the stairs, and I took a knee because I couldn't breathe. And my parents thought it was funny, and they're like, "Oh yeah, by the way, uh, yeah. there's not a lot of oxygen here," and I was like, "Okay," and. The only time I really noticed it later was when I returned to Oregon and I was an all-star, like playing street football for friends. I never ran out of air. It was amazing. And uh, also, like, so when people come to Laramie, I'm always like, hey, you know, there's there's not a lot of oxygen here. So watch your drinking, watch your exercise, you know, until you get a little acclimated. I know my, my stepmom's had uh, altitude sickness here one time. And. And, and so it's, people don't understand. I mean, we, we are, we live here at 7,200 feet. So uh, it definitely makes it easier when I'm like, uh, I'm going to go down to Denver and watch a show at Red Rocks and people are like all those stairs. And I was like, I live at 7,200 feet. Um, they don't, yeah. The stairs don't always get to me. It's not a big deal. And uh, I remember one year I was tired of dragging butt on the stairs. So I decided that uh, I was going to get in shape started doing five Ks and, um, working out a ton. And then I ended up doing, um, warrior dashes and they were at 10,000 feet. That was a bit of a struggle, but, um, I always say the second one was harder because I knew what was coming and I, I was, mm -hmm. and, and they ended on a, um, water, uh, um, obstacle at the end. And you had to climb up like this net go over the top and then like slide down and on the slide and you'd land in this pool of water. Well, the slide was too, um, too much vertical on it. So people were just being launched and like breaking <laughs> saying it was crazy. <laughs> and I went to, I was sucking breath and I was trying to slide down the slide and I go to slide and I catch my leg. So I'm sliding down with one leg behind me. I'm like, I'm going head first. I'm going to get hurt. And luckily I get that leg kicked out, land in the water get over the side. And I remember like, it's like all like sandbags and I pull myself over the top 
And all I see is just more water. And I was like, no, it was just splash of water. I was like, no, no, more water. And there's a picture of me finishing that year and I'm smiling. And people are like, why are you smiling? I go, because it's over. I accomplished <laughs> that. It was, I mean, it was it, the accomplishment of, of doing something like that where you never thought you would um, will bring yeah. out a smile to you, even though you're just exhausted. So, I mean, it's yeah. hard to compare to your, your 18,000 and, but you get that rush and um, I'm like, I want to get back to doing some more dash. It's been a little while since I, I've done one. Um, I'm not ready to climb your, your 14s yet. I'll let you guys know. Um, on that. <laughs> yeah, we'd love to take you along. We'd love yeah. to have you join us. Yeah. I, I, I will say that. Oh, go ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. I will say that the, uh, the time that we felt the elevation the most um, was related to a helicopter. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so, um, and, and I should say, we we had this incredible opportunity, not because we have any type of extraordinary ability, um, but we have some extraordinary friends oh, who um, who don't view limits um, for themselves the way most of us do. Um, anything is possible in their eyes. And they had this trip planned to Nepal, um, wanted us to come along and, and it created an opportunity for us. And um, so I will forever be grateful to them for that. But um, this friend also knows how much I love a river. <laughs> uh -huh. And I have, I had very limited time. I had to take time off of work and, um, and I had limited time. And he said, like, how long can you take? And, and I told him the number of days and he said, well, that gives us just enough time. And then he started working his magic and figured out that if we, because you hike up, it's, it's 40 miles or so of ascent to base camp. And then you have to hike 40 miles out. Um, and you're just seeing all the same things that you saw when you hiked in. So he decided that if we helicoptered out um, of Everest Space Camp, then that would give us some days to be on a river in Nepal. Ah. <laughs> and so we got up to um, the highest village that is near to Everest, Everest Space Camp is called um, Gorakshep. And it, it sits somewhere around 18,000 feet. Um, so he arranged, he chartered, hired a helicopter to come and pick us up. So there was the four of us plus our guides from Nepal. So really there were six of us traveling in a party. And um, the helicopter came to pick us up. We're at 18,000 feet. There's half the oxygen at 18,000 feet than what people have at um, sea level. And we learned that that means a helicopter can carry half the load that it can carry at sea level. And so um, it made for some interesting um, kind of shuttles, helicopter shuttles to get all of us where we needed to be. And, um, you know, we had spent you know, over a week with, with our guides who became family to us. And, um, and we were loading up the helicopter. Half of our group had already gone and headed down and the helicopter had come back for the rest of us. And we were loading the helicopter and the pilot looked at us and he said, 
it's still too heavy. One of you out. And oh. he kicked our guide out. <laughs> and we took off without him. And it happened in half a second. And it just broke my heart because there was no like chance to say goodbye. Nothing. He just, he was kicked out and had to walk the 40 miles out. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was, it was heartbreaking. It, he, he was totally great with it, but, um, but even with half the load, half the passengers, um, feeling the strain on that machine, trying to lift off the ground, it was, it was apparent that there was little oxygen wow. in the air. It was, it was quite an experience. So, so I noticed that much more than I felt it in my lungs. <laughs> Did you guys what did you guys have to wear masks while you were on the helicopter up up that high or no no, no. I like the cool ones the fighter pilot no. type styles <laughs> um so so what river did you end up on um so the river is um called the Kali Gandaki and um we did like a three day trip so it meant we spent a couple nights um it's more you know Everest is in the high mountain um you know, Kumbu region, it's the Everest region of Nepal. And our river took us to more the jungle part of Nepal. So, um, and I think it's, I think it's supposed to be the, the deepest river gorge in the world as well. Um, wow. So we, we spent time, you know, on the highest mountain in the world and got into the deepest river gorge. Um, but that, that was quite an experience as well. That was, that was a lot of fun. And it was interesting because I've grown up on a river. I've grown up on multi-day trips. Um, this is very comfortable and it feels like home to me, but suddenly you're on the other side of the world and you're in the jungle and they're saying things like, you know, we have bear boxes, right? And people are bear conscious and they say, oh, make sure you don't leave your, you know, food out or whatever for the bears. Well, in Nepal, it's the tigers. So, you know, they, they would say, don't wander away from the fire at night because of the tigers. <laughs> and um, so there were some stark differences. We would watch the monkeys play, you know, in the trees above us at night. And and your biggest risk was you don't leave your shoes and stuff like that outside the tent because the monkeys will come and steal them. <laughs> um, so so there were some stark differences, but outside of those kind of initial um, things it you're on you're on a river it's just like <laughs> any yeah. river I've done and it just felt like home and um and it was so incredible to see or just to feel that feel that closeness with um something that's so familiar to me and and share it with people on the other side of the world what was there was there were there some good rapids on this was it more of a oh yeah trip? it was okay. it was it was big water yeah <laughs> sure it it was um it was big water yeah. we had there was one rapid um well and and i should say the our entire trip was made interesting because um we selected the time to go october is a good time to go um because it avoids the monsoon season um but there was some crazy weird weather event that happened and it just threw a bunch of moisture over Nepal and they re-entered monsoon um, while we were there. And so it created a lot of difficulties for us through our climb. Um, even getting into the Kumbu region was a real struggle for us because all the roads were washed out and planes weren't flying. And 
And so it, it made the trip interesting for us, but all of these rains and all of the flooding just dumped massive amounts of, of water into the rivers. And um, they had actually shut down the rivers. Our group that launched was the first group to have launched since they opened. And so our guides had not seen it since the summer before. Our guides had not seen it at that level. And and when you have flooding like that in a river, and you'll know this because you have enough river experience, but rapids change. Rapids are created. Rapids um, move when you have that much water and debris coming down a river. And our guides had had no opportunity to see any of it. Um, So it was pretty exciting for me. Um, I, I love the whole exploration and navigation of a river and kind of the excitement of not knowing what you're going to see when you get down there. Um, I think it, I think it was a little stressful for some other people (laughs) on the trip, but, um, but we had a ball with it. There was one of the, the rapids that was technical and scary enough to the guides that they said we're portaging. So we, we carried gear and they lined the boats through um, just to make sure that we weren't putting ourselves at too much of risk. But other than that, we just enjoyed terrific high water and a lot of fun. I was talking with my stepdad this weekend because I got to go see them. And mm-hmm. uh, he was talking about, he's man, I wish we would have had uh, drones back when I was rafting so we could send them up ahead of us and and scout a little more instead of pulling yeah. over, walking down. And then he's like, the only time I've ever did, done a shot of Jack Daniels in my life was right before Blossom Barge on the Rogue River. And he's like <laughs> trying to explain it and and to like my girlfriend and my sister. And I had been on, I might've been there when he did that shot. And I was, he was like, this is, and I was like, yeah, it's very much, you got to go the waste away or you die kind of run. And he's like, yeah. And and so um, it was, it's interesting to talk to him about his rafting days. Um, I remember my mom, uh, like she, he flipped a boat one time with her in it and she was like, and I'm done. And, and she's <laughs> like, you better not flip my son in a boat. I, I was all, it never happened until oh, I got thrown out, but it was cause we, um made we were going to knock a boat out of a hole that had flipped over at the i don't know how they flipped over at the bottom at the end of uh the plat and like right where you take mm-hmm. out the big hill i don't know how they got the boat flipped over i didn't see it it was just in the hole and yeah there's a there's a big like tootsie roll hole there and like um cookie monster hole on the right at the bottom of the plat that can eat boats for sure and and because <laughs> i'd done it many times before and i was like how'd they do this and so my stepdad's like, hey, we're going to knock them out. And, he, and we get into the hole and we knock them out. And he's like, oh, no. And there I go. And that mm-hmm. side of the boat just goes out. And if it had to be like one person got me, it was okay. I'm comfortable. I ran rapids in my life jacket. Like it was. And but the guy that was sitting up front in the boat with me was freaking out. And he's like trying to pull me back in. I'm like, dude, just just chill, man. I'll climb back in if I can't. There's there's the side I can swim over there real easy, and uh, but yeah it was and my stepdad I still give him crap today I was like of all the trips and of all the rapids to put me out on it was the end there which he, he's done an amazing job keeping me in the boat as long as he did in his life I'm sure my mom would have thumped him good if I was ever in a boat he flipped 
and uh and so but yeah the, the river experience i don't have near as much as you um i kind of grew up uh with my stepdad on rivers out there doing day trips and i used to freak people out because i would uh ride in their raft and i just bail out and run a particular rap into my life jack because i'd done a hundred times and people would be like what is he doing and they like my stepdad would be like he'll catch up he knows where we're going and, and it, was, it was interesting so how did was your you said your dad was into fishing um yeah. Was he was he into white rider rafting right away, or was just kind of a natural progression? I you know I think fishing fishing was his love first, um, and then he had, um, you know, friends that, you know, introduced him to the idea that when you when you have a boat that's river worthy, yeah, you know, it can get you to some some pretty cool places. And so I think that that just kind of naturally progressed into the rafting. But um, yeah, from the from the time I was little, we had we had rafts. I, I will have to say just because I know maybe this will make you blush and I don't know if people will be able to tell that um, over the radio. But um, when you and I were in high school and, you know, I've shared this with you before, um, you gave me a Christmas present and I don't know if you'll even remember what it was. But it was this. This is how well you knew me, um, Rude, and and how much I loved it. It was this really great, like, camp organizer, like, foldable, like, accessory yeah. case. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, and and I'm going to say this, and my husband can hear me say it, but it was, to, to this day, it was still the best gift I've ever gotten in my entire life. And that... That thing has gone everywhere with me. I still use it to this day. It went to Nepal with me. It went to Everest with me, Justin. And I thought of you. I thought of you, Rude, nice. while while I was there. So, um, yeah. That's cool. It, any, anyway. Um, yes, people, I did blush a little bit. <laughs> that, that was cool. Um, yeah. yeah, because I remember like one of, like, we went to school together, but I remember one of our first conversations. And it was, you were walking by, I was sitting there talking to a buddy of mine and I'm just going over my legs because they were cut up. And because I was just pulled through a tree at the bottom of the plant. And uh, I was like, man, we're on this river. And you were like, Urgh. I mean, you could probably hear <laughs> you were doing what? And I was like, white rod rafting on the plant. And then it was, it was a long conversation about river rafting and, and how much you had grown up with it. And I'd grown up with it too. Uh, you kept up with a whole lot more. How many boats do you own right now? Um, well, I just sold one. So, um, how, how many do I own? Like in my boathouse currently I have, uh, well, two rafts, um, two inflatable kayaks and then a hard shell, shell kayak. Um, but I'm, I'm in the market for a new one. I, I want a little play boat, um, raft. So we've been doing some shopping, which is why I, I sold one. Um, how big? I also lost, lost how big one, you want the new one to be. Sorry. How big um, do you want the new one to be? I, I'm really going back and forth between like a 10 and a half and a 12 foot. Um, right. yeah, yeah. I, I want one of each is the problem. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Of course. They got extensive <laughs> these days. I started looking myself and I was like, wow, I wish my stepdad wouldn't have sold his before that. He probably would have gave them to me, but I was kind of a nomad at the time that they moved out of town. Like I was at an apartment. I was on concert all the time. Possessions were not my thing. No, and yeah. wait, slow down. And I was like, man, I wish I would have kept one of his boats. 
and done yeah. that. Um, but yeah, it was something I would like to get back to. Um, he gave me definitely some some insight. And when I today, when I still look at a river, I'm like, that's where I would take it in that spot right there. And that feet like, mm -hmm. and then go this way. Yeah, I still think about that to the day and haven't guided in years. And so, it, I mean, that's it's pretty cool. And I and I definitely I think about you because you're a river rat and you're on the road river all the time. And you'd be like, I'm almost got. How would Ellen do that? How would Ellen do that? <laughs> Get the best ride too, because you can run it safe. And, and and that's all right, but there's sometimes you went on rapids where you're like, I want to give everybody a good ride, especially myself. Yeah. And you may scare the yeah. Jesus out of somebody in your boat, but you had a good time. And uh, so, how many rivers do you think you've been on in your life? Oh gosh, um, <laughs> I I don't know. Like I can start naming them, and we can count yeah. them. I mean, obviously, <laughs> like the North Platte and the yeah. Snake and the Arkansas and several different stretches of the Arkansas. You look at the Colorado and several different stretches of the yeah. Colorado, the Green River, um, the Salmon River, the Middle Fork of the Salmon. Um, I already said the Snake River, but then the, I was thinking Jackson, but then you, there's the Snake River section that we've done, you know, over up the coast or up the border of like Idaho, Oregon, Washington. Um, uh, have you done the road? Um, Did you do the Rogue River? The Selway? No, and I was going to say the Rogue I've never done, and... so I've always wanted to. <laughs> Does Mike still float? No, he hasn't yeah. in a long time. I think Colorado was one of his last, and that's when they still lived in Laramie. So that's twelve years yeah. ago or so. Um, yeah, the Colorado um, Rogue Deschutes. Oh, I've been on the Colorado snake, many parts of snake. Cause it, it, there's too, so many different parts of snake. Um, gosh, uh, salmon. I think mm -hmm. I did middle fork. Um, trying to think what are some of the Oregon rivers we got to. Oh, I did uh Yampa green, which was a couple mm -hmm. day trip. Um, that was the one we had bears across the river and we woke up the next day and we had the you know the styrofoam cutouts for the back of the boat that you know when you put your gear on we had styrofoam cutout um uh, ours had a big old bear paw in the middle of it yep <laughs> and i had the dogs and or our dog in my tent that night and he was going crazy but because we saw raccoons earlier i didn't think we we're going to get a uh, bear i'm so happy my dog stayed in the tent stayed quiet um Ooh. but yeah it that was that was interesting. That was uh, my second couple day trip. Um, I, the Rogue was my first. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You'd be like, what do I absolutely need? Like to be on the river for a while. And and then, but it's great because you're, kind, you're out there in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I'm sure you could find a way out. And that is the beauty part of it. And the ride of the river is, is so much fun. Um, so, uh, wow. What's your next climb? What's your next river? What do you want them to be? Well, so my next river, I mean, it's not a new one. I just, we didn't draw any permits this summer. So we're kind of bummed. But I I, I um, have been offered a spot on just a, a short West water trip. So we're going to head to Moab and do that first okay. week in May, I think. Um, hopefully flows will look good and weather will look good. Um, uh, my next climb, um, 
in in terms of a goal type of thing um we i was actually really crossing my fingers we applied for um the lottery to get a permit to hike mount whitney this summer and didn't dry out so that's not going to happen but mount whitney is probably my next um target that i've set for myself and so mount whitney would be the highest peak in the contiguous 48 states um where is that it's in california california and, okay. yeah yeah so um i'd really like to do that one um not going to happen this summer because we didn't get a permit but we'll just keep applying as long as my legs seem up to the task and um I did also as a backup kind of apply for a half dome, which is in Yosemite. Okay. Um, we haven't heard on that one yet. So there's a chance that one might happen this year. Um, and if not, then there's some great hikes just in the wind rivers that um, I think we'll do. Um, big trip, um, big, like big goal, um, which will take us a few years. I, I've been to Nepal now, um, actually, absolutely fell in love with it and want to see the Alps next. Okay. So that's kind of my next, um, got my eye on a couple of options in the Alps. I'd really like to see like Mont Blanc and, um, in France and the Matterhorn and Switzerland. And so hope to get there. Yeah. Yeah. I will. Maybe I won't. <laughs> uh, definitely. I mean, strong goals, international goals. Wow. I mean, um, that's, like some people come on the podcast and be like, I live a boring life. You do not live a boring life. <laughs> you have done a life for a lot of us. Um, you've climbed those mountains. And, uh, you know, that's all the questions I got for you. So I want to thank you uh, yeah, for being on this episode. And maybe in a future episode, we'll get to, uh, you know, the history <laughs> of your life. But we can talk about that at another time. All right. Sounds good. I want to thank Ellen for being on the show. I can't believe the Christmas gift I gave her 30 some years ago is still holding up. I definitely had help from my mom and stepdad picking out that gift. Both of them river rafters at the time and I was as well. I was also a Boy Scout and well, it helps to have some sort of organization while out in the wilderness. Now, I really hope I can get Ellen on the show again to tell us about her life before the hiking adventures you just heard about started. All right, let's, let's get her on the show again. On to the next episode. All my friends, all my friends, all my friends with Justin Flaskerud. All my friends. All my friends. All my friends with Justin Flaskerud. <laughs>